Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. I'm Sue Samalayatawa in for Wallace Chapman. Today, our panelists, Joe McCarroll and Raj Chakraborty. Welcome. Great to have your company. Well, it's a year. A year, well, coming up to a year, not quite a week out since Cyclone Gabrielle made its approach to Aotearoa. Heavy rain, wind warnings, well, they were issued across the North Island with states of emergency beginning on February 9 in Auckland and the Coromandel Peninsula, followed by Northland a couple of days later. And it just kept going in the days that followed with widespread power outages and those weather conditions and the impact of that weather Worsening, Thousands of people became uncontactable. Hundreds were evacuated. Hundreds self-evacuated. Thousands displaced by the devastation. You know what happened where you live and work, where you go to school, where your kids go to school. And what's happened and hasn't happened since February 2023. Well, now the Hastings District Council has a proposal for homeowners to pay towards the demolition of their abandoned homes. At the moment, the Hastings District Council pays for the demolition. Joining us now is Eskdale resident Dan Gale. Kia ora, Dan. Good afternoon. How are you? Good, and good to have you with us this afternoon. How does this proposal affect you? So I suppose the, the best way to frame it is um, to look at how the council is framing that we are basically making out like bandits and double dipping um, because they claim that since we potentially have uh, demolition costs in our insurance payment that we should therefore contribute to the uh, the demolition of the buildings. However, to what really needs to be clarified is how they reach that conclusion and basically when you have an, a house, let's say that for easy figures, your house is a million dollar property, a million dollar house, and but you're only insured for uh, five or six hundred thousand dollars. What happens is because your house would actually cost a million dollars to repair or replace, you your sum insured is not large enough to cover that. So that instantly triggers a full a, what they call a full payout uh, because the insurance doesn't have enough money to uh, cover the rebuild. So. When that occurs, that sum, even though it's not enough to replace or repair your house, has a demolition component in it. Now, then there's the following part, which is where they talk about market value. So the basis of the payout is on market value. So what happens in that market value is it's made up of three components, and this is how they are, we are ending up with properties receiving more funds than what the market value is. So an example might look like this. You receive insurance for $800,000 because you didn't have enough to rebuild your house and that triggers a full payout which includes demo costs. We then have a component for relocation which is it's called the relocation grant and what occurs there is when you have a block of land, if it's a hectare of size, for example, and you have the right to live on it, that piece of land is far more valuable if you're allowed to live on it and build your house there than it is as just a one hectare paddock. So let's say that your your piece of land was worth $400,000, and what they do then is they deduct what they call the living rights uh, 
component or the residential component. So let's just say they take off a hundred thousand. So your four hundred thousand dollar piece of land comes down to three hundred thousand. So with your eight hundred thousand insurance, all of a sudden you're at one point two million dollars. The EQC, um, where you are out in, out in our valley in particular, and other valleys as well that have been devastated and have massive amounts of silt uh, and debris, comes in at a hundred thousand dollars, and so. All of a sudden, you've got a property that is with insurances, as they call it, EQC, the relocation grant, and the insurance. We're sitting at a value of $1.2 million. So, But the market value, is which what they base it on, is only $1 million. Just to so, jump in there, Dan, it's sounding yeah. so complicated. Are people, are your neighbours, are you keeping up with this detail and how it affects each of your scenarios, which, of course, will be different in every household. Yeah, I am, but the people, most of our pop, uh, our residents are actually older, um, including my parents, and they're not. And how is it being communicated? Well, it's not being communicated because they told us that it wasn't important enough to do. But if we could go back to that example yes, of we're at $1.2 million of insurance is received and the market value is a million dollars. The reality is that the person who got the insurance payout of 800000 because they didn't, they, they were actually underinsured, they didn't have enough money to replace their house. So the only reason they got a demo contribution in their insurance is because they were underinsured. If they had insured it for more, they wouldn't have had a demolition cost, but they still would end up with more insurances received because of EQC and the relocation. Now, they're making out like we're double dipping, but the reality is that EQC money needs to be used to reinstate your land back to what it was, and it's a huge cost, and we're being left with the land. We don't, if we're over two hectares, we do not get to sell the whole land to the council. Joe, do you have a question for Dan? Yeah, I guess I do, Dan, because I do think, like Susanna said, this and this really brings back to me what happened to my friends and family in Christchurch after the quakes. The situations are so complicated. There's um, liability and, you know, different 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 ways you can seek compensation and there's different levels within that. And it gets very complicated and I can imagine it becomes almost an obsession for the people in, in your community dealing with this, you know, it's almost like it becomes a job where all you do is try and seek redress. But do you think we do need to have a really difficult conversation about where, what's public liability, what public money should be used for, where the, where the line is with personal insurance? Because I think we all know we're going to see more of these type of extreme weather events. I don't know if that's a fair question when you yourself have been so affected, but I do well, think there's a conversation to be had. Yeah, for sure. But the reality is you can't you can't insure your land in terms of when you are told you can no longer live on there and that relocation grant is what the compensation for it is for because you can't live there anymore. If if it was a fire and the house burnt down, you would just get your insurance and you would have to rebuild. And if you were well insured, you would be able to rebuild fully. If you're underinsured, your four bedroom might be only become a three bedroom. And if you had no insurance, you'd have nothing. But that's not the situation. We're being forced off our land, and then we have an EQC component to repair our land. 
And you don't think anyone's going to end up in a better position after this? No, there are no winners in this situation. Just because they received a, a value higher than the market value is, is an insurance issue. They, they done the right thing. They paid their premiums for that level of cover. And there's only a demolition component because they still didn't have enough. If they had enough, it would only be a repair amount because they never pay you more than you need to repair or replace. And then it would not have a demolition cost in it. Raj, let's come to you. Do you have a question for Dan? What are your thoughts? Um, I had a thought following on from what Joe said, but one thing I did find myself agreeing with the Hastings mayor's idea was to was that she would make the case to the central government and the finance minister, who was apparently due for a visit, to see if more funds at a federal level could be made available to help everyone in the impacted communities. But in general, and this is following on from Joe's thought, my own first instinct was to remember that from schools to libraries to ACC to New Zealand Super and the Gold Card, there are so many areas where government support or services are provided without looking at people's individual circumstances or ability to contribute. And I thought, why can't disaster relief and emergency management, especially with the unique losses and traumas that it creates, why can't it be like that? Or why can't it be a part of that? And if we decide that as a society, maybe we could have something like another ACC to enable that. And that was a unique thing we did. And maybe we need to consider it again, because especially as Joe said, if such emergencies become too frequent for councils and insurance companies to manage by themselves. Dan, just to finish with you, um, where are you up to now with any insurance in your home? Uh, so across our family, we have two Three, uh, one EQC claim outstanding, one house claim, and two plant insurance, which is commercial contents, still outstanding out of about 16. So this is over my family, my brothers, and my mum and dad. Yeah. So we're still going through it. Yeah. Well, we're going to leave it there, but we're very grateful for your time today because this is the beginning of many conversations that we'll be having in the next few weeks as we recap on what happened but most importantly and thank you Dan we actually find out where things are up to right now for you all thanks Dan thank you very much cheers cheers RNZ National it's 18 minutes past four and just um, as a piece of information Dan ran the Eskdale Holiday Park before it was destroyed by the cyclone I'm sorry I didn't include that level of detail because that level of context is significant well the Iwi Chairs Forum's just finished its three day meeting in Kerikeri with leaders of more than 74 Iwi attending the hui is a chance for Iwi leaders to speak directly to the government before Waitangi Day Prime Minister Christopher Luxon alongside ACTS David Seymour and New Zealand First Shane Jones met with the leaders of the iwi today. Paul Kere Paiwe is a Māori Affairs reporter, Māori Issues reporter for RNZ News and he joins us now. Tēnā koe, Paul Kere. Tēnā koe. You have been attending the iwi forum chairs or iwi chairs forum in Kere Kere the past few days. 
I've been up here since yesterday when uh, many of the easy chairs arrived. All of them to arrive here in Kitty Kitty for the three-day hui that they, the first of four hui that they hold this year. I'm just going to pause you right there because I want your line to stay nice and clear. So you've been there since yesterday. Can you tell us what the outcome of the meeting has been? What's What have the announcements been? We know that Prime Minister Luxon, David Seymour, Shane Jones were there this morning. What has been the um, the responses and the outcome this afternoon? Uh, the the is government committed to push, pushing back against several of the current government policies. On top of this is the proposed treaty principles bill. I'm going to pause you, poor Kitty, I'm so sorry, because we've got such poor connection, and I'm hoping that we're going to call you back. So if you just pause while Ayana and Rangi in the Auckland studio come back to you, and we'll see if we can get a better line, and um, we'll come back, because I don't want to miss what poor Kitty's got to share with us. Um, but let's go to our talkie, our subject where we just want to have a bit of a cordial. Uh, Joe, Raj, and of course our listeners. When does the school year start exactly? Some schools have been uh, back for the past couple of days or even a week, I understand from some parents here. Some timed it for starting yesterday, some aren't back. Schools, that is, until next week. Are the school holidays getting too long as well? Uh, I looked it up on the MOE website and it just has this very general start date, Monday the 29th of January to Wednesday the 7th of February. And I just wondered how do schools decide on the start date and what are each of your experiences? Raj, shall we come to you as a parent? What's happening? Um, Well, just before uh, coming here, I picked up our daughter from school and actually asked her very quickly, uh, a straw poll of one, whether she thought the holidays had been too long and she and her answer was an emphatic no. Um, and so, um, but if I answer too hastily, of course, there's going to be immediacy bias at work because we have just been through the summer holidays. And I did identify to some extent with the, re- with the sense of relief that the author in that article described so well. Um, but one thing I found myself wondering about was what a, some kind of worldwide ticky tour of best practice would reveal. So, for example, um, what is the optimum amount of summer holidays for kids to get the rest and the downtime that they need? And also, which countries do the best at providing state or council-supported opportunities for childcare and, and fun activities that help take some pressure off parents? So... I guess, in other words, what I'm asking is, what does Finland do? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Raj, for that, just making the question even bigger than I was proposing. Joe, do you want to jump in? And we'll circle back to you, Raj, and maybe someone can text in what happens in Finland. um, I don't have children myself, but a lot of my friends have school-aged children, and I hear from them very consistently that the school holidays, not just the summer school holidays, but the the 12 or 13 week holidays that children have a year reflect a bygone era. They they seem to be predicated on the idea that there is a, a parent who is available full time to look after the children at home and that everyone gets two months off over the summer and the whole family 
pile into the Hillman Hunter and go to the beach place they traded a crate of beer for. You know, I don't know when this time was, but I would say I don't know anyone living in it these days. Um, and maybe not many people lived in it even back in the day. Um, yeah, I think they're, they're, they're vastly too long. How are people managing? Because you get, if you're lucky, four weeks of leave a, a year. And if you need to make it work with your kids at home for 12 or 13 weeks, I just do not see how that's going to work out. No, they, these are the, exactly the same questions. Raj, I'm going to appoint you Finland, and you you deliver what you think would be best practice. I mean, I, dare you I, to. I, I, I totally think so many of uh, so much of what Joe said is absolutely relevant, and the burden falls uh, even if technology allows a parent to work from home. The, um, the, the burden of juggling a full day's work while also keeping an eye on kids, um, the burden on lower income families where, you know, just uh, finding activities or childcare is, is not that easy. So I, I completely, I can see Joe's case that this is a template uh, from, an, from an earlier society where it was assumed that one parent would have more time to be at home, um, still extending. But into into our time. But I'd really love to know and hear from people who have experiences of other cultures. If um, you are Finnish, text in on 2101. Exactly. So, well, yeah. I'll share a couple of texts now. Hi, Susanna. It's up to each school to decide. Where my wife works, uh, teachers usually go up as far as they can until Christmas because the principal wants them to have a proper break throughout all of January, and they're not coming back until after Waitangi Day. There are teacher-only days leading up to this. Some schools will do the opposite and finish halfway through December, but then they must go back earlier in January. Thank you. That's Dom in Auckland. Another texter, I used to work all school holidays like most kids in the 70s. Uh, Tasmania goes back closer to mid-February, better for summer there. The run-up to Christmas uh, to compensate teachers need a refresh, not less time. But we don't seem to have any details at this point about how parents cope with this long extended time where kids are at home. And also what the plans are or how programs work even. Or, you know, we've been lucky, right, for most of the country that we've had warm weather this year and definitely remembering Cyclone Gabriel, that was not the case last year. Everyone was indoors, a lot of the parts of the North Island anyway. Well, here we go. Why do parents think they have to entertain their children during school holidays? Question mark, exclamation mark. I always like that combo. I've never been bored and my late mum never once entertained us. What has changed? Well... I mean, I think a lot has changed, um, but but I, I certainly remember very boring, boring, boring long summer holidays um, where my sisters and I would just sort of lie on the ground and watch cartoons. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, 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 I totally take the point that teachers are working incredibly hard. I think children do need a chance to rest and recharge, but I think that a lot is expected of working parents, and I think those holidays reflect a different time. Here's another text. Yes, the holidays are too long and a teacher-only day on Monday. Really? Hmm. Raj, you're a parent balancing work and play. I know it was a silly one, but I had to use it. I think think we um, probably did end up relying a lot more on on screen time than uh, unsupervised screen time than is probably ideal. 
Um, so we kind of keep, we have a centerpiece of a day, um, our daughter and I, where we try to do something together. But for the rest of the time, especially after my partner returned to work, you do end up relying on the screen probably more than you should, at least at, in our home. Here's a couple of nice texts, and yes, the screen, the good old screen. It's not schools that need to change, it's workplaces that need to change to become more family-friendly. And along the same lines, a different person, though I'd like to add, how about we just provide parents with more paid leave? Kids actually do need a break. So do parents. Capitalist systems drive this need for constant work and therefore childcare. Kids and adults need more quiet downtime, getting bored and processing life and getting creative. And let's change the subject because there has been a lot of feedback in. Let's come to what you were talking, thinking about, Joe. Uh, No names with these texts. I have witnessed young men loading up with alcohol, walking straight out without paying at Meadowbank Countdown. I asked them if they were going to pay. They said no. No miss and took off. And on the same subject, uh, another emailer, security personnel at supermarkets are not legally permitted to physically intervene with shoplifters. They are also not permitted to search people. Thieves are well aware of this. The government needs to increase their powers and improve their training. That's from Amy in Rotorua. And here's a response for you, Raj. This is from Bridget. So agree about changing parenting styles as the children grow. My 16-year-old twins are driving. One is at school, one is away studying, and I give them a lot of free reign, but I'm always ready to pick up the pieces when I am needed. So hand off, but still no hands on in a different way. That's from Bridget for you, Raj. Thank you. Thanks, Bridget. It's so lovely just to have this variety. Oh, one more before we get to the news. Oh, no, a couple. Here we go. Italy has long summer holidays. Boredom is good for kids. Picking up on your note there, Joe, and lots of learning happens during the holidays. Well, that's that's exactly right. And this other message has come in. Primary schools used to have to work 400 half days, so holidays were worked around that parameter. I know, but clearly it's changed. Well, we are seconds away, so let's go to the headlines and then we can get into our next topics. It's 29 and a half minutes past four. Over to you with the headlines, Karen. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.